Now you can find, listen and subscribe to Chilling with Jens and the local Danfoss Climate Solution podcast in your RevTools app. Download it from danfoss.com. Service and support. Downloads. Hi, I'm Jens Andersen from Danfoss Climate Solution. One of the popular smartphone apps that you can download is a Danfoss TXV Superheat Tuner. Just go to your usual app store and look for it there. We recently updated the app and added it to the RevTools app. So in principle, you can you can do with just updating the RevTools or download it if you haven't already done so. If you have, then just open the app and you simply click Tools at the bottom of the screen, scroll down, and there you have it. Now, the app itself is about tuning the TXV, the thermostatic expansion valve, like you tune an instrument before actually starting playing a melody. And obviously you do that to get the sound as close to perfect as possible. And that's exactly what the Superheat Tuner does for the TXV. With me today I have Jamie Kitchen, and thank you for letting me steal some of your time, Jamie. Um, Jamie, could you please tell us a bit uh, about yourself, what you do, where you are, and, and, and so on? Sure. Um, it, it might take a while. I've been with Dan Foss for 22 years almost, I think. It's hard to keep track. I, I'm currently a uh, account manager, sales engineer, depending on what title you want to give me. I've been involved with quite a few different areas at Dan Foss, marketing, sales, but but really my core is technical. I was a uh, app, junior application engineer, application engineer, field uh, service engineer, you name it. So currently I am heavily involved on the sales side, but because I deal with the aftermarket contractor side, really a lot of it still has to do with training and i've always really enjoyed the the training aspect of it getting in front of people and kind of just helping them become comfortable with what you have and, and how to apply it yeah yeah i know i've been teaching myself for years back yeah um, so and it's you know it's always a pleasure to say move people from one mental stand to to the next hopefully a higher level, so to speak, right? Yeah, a higher level, or just be confused as a higher level as our friend Jan Moore would say, <laughs> yes, yes. Um, yeah, also, right. I should throw out there, I, I live in Canada. In fact, oh. Ontario, Canada, if if uh, you want to look that up on a map somewhere or Google it. Yeah. Um, so, and and uh, I've lived here pretty much my whole life, except for a, a few trips out of the country to live in different regions working for Dan Boss. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Do what I can just to get different experiences. Yeah, great. Jamie, so what we're going to talk about is this superheat tuner. But before we do that, could you please explain us a bit about the superheat? What is it in the first place? Ah, good question. Um, probably not as well understood as, as, as we'd all like, but superheat is essentially what happens to a vapor once all the liquid has basically boiled off and changed state so a lot of people aren't familiar with it because it's not something we generally see you know day to day you, you put like a, a pot of water on the stove and you bring it to a boil 
And, uh, you know, if you live close to sea level, like most people do, um, you'll notice that it rises in temperature and it gets to about 100 degrees Celsius or 212 Fahrenheit, and then it begins to boil. And this is what we call change of state. So as long as there's liquid left in that pot, it's going to continue to boil. And you'll notice that even if you turn the temperature up, the burner up so it boils harder, the temperature never really changes. It, it, it stays 212 until such time as all that liquid's gone. All right. So if, if you turn the heat up, it just changes state faster and the vapor carries that heat away. However, in our case, in refrigeration and air conditioning, we're doing this inside of a closed vessel as it travels through that vessel. We call that an evaporator. So what superheat really is, is it's an indication of how much refrigerant you have compared to how much heat load there is on the evaporator. So as the liquid travels through the evaporator and turns to vapor, eventually you're gonna to get to a point where there isn't any liquid left. You have just vapor. And once you have just vapor left, because it is still cooler than the area surrounding your evaporator, it's still cooler than the outside air, it is continuing to get warmer, just like the air in our atmosphere does. I mean, it's superheated, so you have hot days where the sun's out and the air temperature rises. Well, this is the same thing in your evaporator. So once you run out of liquid, there's nothing left to change state, the vapor just rises temperature in temperature, rises in dry bulb temperature. That is superheat. Okay. That's a great explanation, by the way. <clears throat> um, Jamie, we, we also just briefly mentioned that you have several uh, items to help evaporating the, 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 the refrigerant uh, just mm -hmm. uh, connected to, before the evaporator, right? It could be uh, capillary tubes, it could be TXVs, it could be pistons, etc. Mm -hmm. Can you please explain the difference between these? Absolutely. When you look at a piston or a cap tube, they're essentially what we would state as they are call them a fixed orifice. In other words, if you look at a piston, it is essentially just a hole driven in a plate. And um, the amount of flow that travels through that piston into the evaporator is based on two things, the diameter of that opening in the orifice and the pressure differential across it. In other words, the pressure difference between the condenser and the evaporator. Think of your garden hose, for example. You know, your garden hose is a certain length. Let's say it's 10 meters long. So if your water pressure, you know, that is you're providing at that faucet increases and the hose is wide open, you're going to get more flow through it. Well, with a piston, it's very similar. The amount of flow you get through it is determined by the outside pressure compared to the evaporator. So you'll actually get more flow through your piston on a hot day when the condensing pressure is higher than on a cool day when the outside temperature is lower and your outside pressure is lower. Compare that to a TXV. A TXV is a mechanical adaptive device. And what that means is it will actually change how much refrigerant it puts into the evaporator based on some kind of signal. In the case of a TXV, it has a sensing bulb mounted to the outlet of the evaporator. So as the refrigerant, you know, in this case, superheated vapor is leaving the evaporator, that sensing bulb basically picks up heat from that suction line leaving the evaporator and it warms up the liquid vapor mixture inside the bulb. Now, 
It's just like a jug of refrigerant. You put a jug of refrigerant in a hot room, the inside pressure and temperature of that jug of refrigerant is going to increase. Same as a sensing bulb. And the important thing about the sensing bulb is it is the one opening force in a TXV. So if you picture like a diaphragm on top, you have the um, sensing bulb. The pressure in the sensing bulb is pushing that diaphragm down and that is the opening force. On the bottom of that diaphragm, you have two closing forces, the evaporator pressure and the mechanical force being exerted by a spring. And we call that the superheat spring. This is the spring you adjust when you actually want to adjust the superheat setting on your TXV. So you have two closing forces and one opening force. So if, remember how I said superheat is really an indication of how much refrigerant you have compared to um, heat load. Well, if you have a greater heat load suddenly compared to refrigerant available, that liquid refrigerant is going to run out sooner, which means the vapor will have longer to superheat. And in doing so, it will rise in temperature. So now you have a warmer vapor leaving the evaporator. This is going to heat up the sensing bulb more. It's going to increase the pressure in that sensing bulb. And this, it being an opening force, is going to drive the TXV open. So it is literally adapting to that increase in load by injecting more refrigerant into the evaporator. So that's why we call it an adaptive device. A piston, for example, cannot do that. No, no, it's, it, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, it's it's also uh, an engineering uh, uh, achievement to make this, this uh, um, thermostatic expansion valve, right? Oh yeah, um, they're, they're they're very well tuned to what they do for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so and and tuning is is, oh. is probably the right word here in this context because we we were initially going to talk about this this uh, superheat tuner app that uh -huh. Danfoss has uh, uh, released. Well, it has been on the market for quite some while, but now it's it's also integrated in the in the ref tools yes but jamie tell me why is it necessary to tune the superheat oh let me yeah that's a good question i guess you have to kind of put it into context picture a piece of equipment manufactured by say an oem say an ice machine you know take hoshizaki man to walk one of these guys they test a ton of this stuff in their labs so they literally will fine-tune the superheat on a TXV in their labs and they will test it and test it and test it until they find the you know the, the best superheat value for that TXV then let's jump to say the aftermarket where you are installing a walk-in box a walks-in cooler or freezer so you get your condensing unit you get your box you get your unit cooler and all these things you mount it up and you purchase a TXV so you're purchasing this TXV from a wholesaler or somebody like that, and you go to install it. Well, companies like Danfoss and that, when we manufacture a, a aftermarket or you know universal or whatever TXV that's designed to be installed by contractors, you know, by nature, we have to make the superheat setting on that TXV rather conservative. In other words, we can't make it too low 
and we can't make it too high because we really don't know how or you know where it's going to be applied. So we have to pick a value that you know we can be sure that if you install it and don't touch it, it's absolutely not going to cause any problems. However, the downside to that is under certain applications, especially low temp refrigeration, it, the superheat setting probably isn't ideal to give you the highest level of efficiency in every single application. So this is kind of where the superheat tuner comes in. You know, if you're going to install this in an AC unit or a high temp refrigerator, you know, chances are you're probably going to be, you know, 90, 95%, you know, where you need to be. But again, in certain situations, there is going to be an opportunity to fine tune that superheat a couple degrees, lower it, but still make sure, you know, the system is stable. And so that's kind of where we're coming from is, you know, the wild west, if you want to call it, of the install industry where you have a, you know, field, field uh, building this equipment, you know, in certain circumstances, yes, you will be able to improve the superheat, you know, quite a bit in some cases for these um, types of applications. Yeah, okay. Okay, so <clears throat> just continuing this question, when exactly would you say it, it makes sense to actually do this uh, tuning? Is it every time or? Well, what, what I would do, if I have a tool, right, and a tool is only useful if, 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 if you use it, when you install a system, it only takes, you know, a minute or two to run this superheat tuning app, you essentially, you know, um, take some measurements, you put some values in that you have, you know, along with the model of the TXV that you're using. And by the way, we should probably point out that you can, it, the database for the superheat tuner includes other people's TXVs as well, not just Dan Paz's. excuse me. You can just check the results you have against the superheat tuner. And if it's within a half a degree or a degree, you know, don't bother really. Um, but if you notice a discrepancy, you know, between what it's telling you, you know, you should be at and where you are at, then by all means, take a little bit of time and adjust that because it will make quite a difference. Just a, a couple of degrees of superheat, two degrees of superheat even over the operating life of that system will substantially make a difference as far as operating costs and everything else goes. Okay. Yeah. So, <clears throat> and what is, I mean, in, in this perspective of, yeah, using the time, but what is it in the owner of, what, what's in it for the owner of the system? Uh, well, yeah, well, you said it. He'll he'll probably have some savings in, in lifetimes, right? Well, are there yeah. other things? Yeah, absolutely. You know, costs are, I'm glad you mentioned that because costs are kind of a thing where a lot of times you don't notice the savings un unless you have something to benchmark them against. But what they will get is they will get a box that is optimized um, or, you know, with a refrigeration system that is optimized to basically cool and freeze whatever you want to put in there in probably the, the, the shortest amount of time. Let me explain that. Superheating of the vapor in the evaporator is a let's use the term necessary evil in the sense of the term because really what you're doing is you're protecting the compressor against floodback and these floodbacks usually occur during rapid changes in load where you either have a drop off and load 
you know, your defrosting isn't working quite the way it should. And you end up in a situation where you, you know, reduce rapidly reduce the, the load. And so having a cushion there, so to speak, a little bit of superheat allows you to protect that compressor against floodback. However, superheating a vapor really does not absorb any heat energy compared to boiling off the liquid. So ideally you would want an evaporator 100% flooded with liquid. And we do that in industrial refrigeration, but we also have a whole lot of other components in there to protect the compressor. This is expensive, right? But again, your efficiency is about as high as it's going to be. What we want is we want to find that balance point between um, protecting the compressor, but not being so conservative that we're wasting energy because you're not only wasting energy because you're not absorbing as much heat, the compressor has to pump more refrigerant to give you the same amount of refrigeration effect. So what essentially happens is the cycle has to run longer in order to give you the same amount of heat removal compared to with higher superheat compared to, you know, superheat that is lower, that has been fine-tuned. So really, you're going to shorten the amount of operating time as well. So you're going to achieve, you know, your cooling and freezing in less time, which allows you to cool and freeze more things, really, if you want to look at it. Right, right, right. So, and this is maybe where this comes in, the next question I have. It's about minimum stable superheat. I've heard that times a couple uh, I've heard that term a couple of times. Can you please explain it? What is it? I mean, or has it relations to what what, what you just said? Uh, the answer is uh, yes, it absolutely does. And it's funny you mentioned that because I use the term minimum stable superheat quite a bit. And I forget sometimes that it's a it's a term that, you know, as an engineer, we seem to throw it around quite a bit. But really what it means is if you look at an evaporator, an evaporator essentially is a dynamic thing. In other words, it's not static. You, you know, there isn't like a pot of refrigerant that's just boiling until it's all gone. You literally have refrigerants, you know, snaking or circulating through an evaporator. And, you know, where you have that point where you run out of vapor really isn't fixed. It goes up and down through the circuit depending on where that load change. And minimum stable superheat is really the point where it's the temperature that will guarantee you 100% you're not going to have any liquid leaving the evaporator. In other words, that point where you're going to be dry, right, for an evaporator is not fixed. It changes depending on the load of the evaporator. It might be two degrees at one point in your load. It might be four degrees at a different load on that evaporator. So in other words, the minimum stable superheat, if you have like a line going vertically, right, <clears throat> which is, is, is uh, <clears throat> excuse me, your load, and you have a line going horizontally, which is <clears throat> your superheat, it's a curve. In other words, it will change the amount of, of superheat depending on your load. Now, a TXV, on the other hand, its opening characteristics is a straight line. In other words, how much capacity it gives you compared to superheat is a straight line. So think about this for a second. You have a curve. Everything to the right of that curve on your evaporator, minimum stable superheat, is dry. Everything inside of that is unstable and is wet. So if you're trying to match this 
straight line from a TXV, right, and touch that curve on an, on the evaporator, the minimum stable superheat, it's only going to touch in one place, and it's going to deviate everywhere else. So what happens is if you try and reduce the superheat too much on a TXV, it is literally part of that opening curve on the TXV or opening line on the TXV is going to be inside that minimum stable superheat line, but only in certain areas. Okay, so just to reiterate again, the minimum stable superheat is the value that we need to make sure you have dry refrigerant leaving your evaporator. And that value is not the same for all the loads on the evaporator. It changes depending on the load. The opening curve for a TXV <clears throat> is a straight line. It runs from the lower left to the upper right, okay? So when you try and take a straight line, and match it up to a curve, it's gonna to touch in one spot. <clears throat> but if you reduce it too much, part of that opening line is gonna be inside the curve. So what this means is, if you reduce the superheat too much on a TXV, it may be stable while you're looking at it. But if you leave and go away, it may enter the, the minimum stable superheat value for the evaporator may drop at a different load. This now means that the curve for the TXV is inside that minimum stable superheat. And what does this mean? Well, think about it. If you have liquid suddenly start coming out of your evaporator because it's unstable, it's going to hit that sensing bulb. And in doing so, <clears throat> it is suddenly going to drive or it's going to cool that TXV down and it's going to drive it closed, right? And when it drives it closed, right that suddenly jumps the superheat up at the um it shuts down refrigerant to the evaporator and the superheat suddenly goes up so what's this do it causes the txv to drive back open again right and then suddenly you get liquid coming back out again and the txv suddenly dries closed so that's what they mean by minimum stable superheat it's really in reference to the txv operating in other words the txv cannot operate stably if the superheat is too low because you can't be guaranteed you're going to um, get, you know, 100% dry vapor out of the evaporator. Just one last thing. People ask me, well, how can you have three degrees of superheat at the evaporator outlet and still have liquid coming out of it? This is where it gets a little tricky. If you happen to know how air flows down a ductwork, and this is going to sound crazy, but work with me here. Air is not the same velocity in a ductwork. The velocity of the air down a ductwork is much higher down the middle than it is on the outside. And it's the exact same thing in an evaporator with the refrigerant. You basically have a much higher velocity down the middle than you do on the outside. So if you have liquid leaving the evaporator, most of the time it is literally suspended down the middle on, of, the, of the tube being supported by all the vapor forming on the outside walls. The problem is, is that when you're almost out of liquid, you really can't support that liquid in the middle anymore, okay? Because you don't have enough vapor being formed. So the liquid then goes down the middle, but then it breaks up and touches the sides. Then it goes down the middle and it breaks up and touches the sides. And this causes the pipe temperature to go up and down, up and down, up and down. So you may measure three degrees of superheat, but it's not going to stay three degrees. It's going to go down to zero, then back up to four, then down to two. And this is what the sensing bulb is picking up. And this is really what's driving that TXV open and closed. And this is 100% what we are going to avoid 
if you use that superheat tool. The superheat tool is going to get you pretty close to that minimum stable superheat without actually going over that line. Yeah, yeah, right. I see. I was attending uh, 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 in the olden days uh, <laughs> together with one of our old uh, colleagues, you know him, <clears throat> and uh, it took hours actually to adjust that to uh, to that minimum stable superheat but that's a different story let's just uh, take that another time but <clears throat> jamie do you have any specific uh additional recommendations for for our listeners uh, when we're talking about superheat and adjusting the superheat yeah um generally speaking if you're if you're working with a low temperature application, let's say an ice cream freezer or, or even normal freezers where you're operating at, you know, you know, minus 15, minus 25, you know, minus 30 Celsius um, evaporator temperatures, you know, minus 10, minus 20 Fahrenheit evaporator temperatures. This is really where this superheat tuner is probably going to shine because chances yeah. are, unless you have a specialized bulb charge, um which you usually don't find in the aftermarket you're going to probably your superheat value is probably going to be higher than what it ideally could be so anytime you're working on something that um deals with low temperature refrigeration ideally you can probably easily find a couple degrees where you can reduce that um the superheat um you know because if you look at an OEM specific valve, manufacturer specific valve that we make specifically for a manufacturer, a lot of times those factory superheat settings are two or three degrees lower, static superheat settings are two to three degrees lower than what you'd see in an aftermarket valve. So right then and there, there's probably room for a two or three degrees Celsius or two or three degrees Fahrenheit, maybe one and a half, two degrees Kelvin reduction in superheat. That's a lot because superheats are generally lower in low temp refrigeration than they are in high temp because you really want to protect that compressor from overheating right in low temp refrigeration so lower superheat makes a huge difference as far as efficiency goes and compressor life expectancy and everything else so 100 spend some time with that superheat tuner because really you, you hit the nail on the head normally to to fine-tune superheat on an evaporator I mean, you have to bring a lunch with you practically because, mm, you know, yeah. you're going to make these adjustments. You're going to wait 15 minutes. You're going to go back, make some more adjustments. And really, you're probing this entire thing um, if you really want to get it low. Most people don't do that, right? But yeah. with the Superheat Tuning app, it really allows you to combine two hours worth of work into 15 minutes. Yeah. You Literally, it is, is, it is that quick. So, um would there be room to absolutely fine tune it a bit further sure but it's not going to be worth your time to do so so the super Eat tuner app really takes what used to be a, a, an afternoon long endeavor and really makes it a quick one-step process right once once you've you've done it so i mean do it once verify it and you're good to go yeah great yeah there's has been put some work into the uh, algorithms in that um, uh, tuna app, so that's that's great. Um, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I must say I, I'm I'm really fascinated by by the insight you have into um, 
TXVs and 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 how they work, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That was really uh, enjoyable to to listen to. But uh, Jamie, thank you so much for your time. If you and, want additional uh, on the TXV and nice how it works, you can find an infogram at infogram.com slash Dan And we have a couple of nice animations also on YouTube. Just go there, search for Danfoss TXV, and you'll be able to find both Jamie, Sven, Bent, and you may even be lucky to find me hidden somewhere. We also have a couple of free e-learning classes about TXVs and quite a few more classes on everything cooling at danfoss.sabacloud.com. Just browse for, for what you want to know more about. Please feedback if you like what you heard. And please let us know if there are other topics that you would like us to have a closer look at. But first of all, remember to stay cool.